0: Okay, we continue in Colossians today, but you know, I was reading a little while back and it was a really fun thing. You guys know cornstarch? If you're a cook, you may know cornstarch. It's something you use with water to sort of thicken gravy, mostly. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a cook or anything, so you can, you you know, correct me, but cornstarch you put with water and you thicken and you put it in like a sauce so it thickens stuff. Well, I was reading one young army cadet, and she had this thought, while well, she was thinking about cornstarch, and she realized that it's a sheer substance. And she took more cornstarch and put it with water, and then asked her uh, commander, hey, put your fingers in this. And he almost broke his fingers, because it was so hard. And out of that is coming this brand new kind of body armor to protect us out of cornstarch and water. or It's not cornstarch exactly, but it's a substance with sheer like that. Why are you starting the sermon like this, Dex? Because sometimes we need to think of things a little differently. How we've always thought of stuff. Cornstarch, you know, with water, that makes a gravy. When actually, look, cornstarch and water, it could be body armor. I wonder about that with us in the Christian life. Sometimes we're so used to saying things and seeing things a certain way, we, we go right over the truth. We miss some of the key parts of the Bible. It's like that this morning, I feel like, and I've called this life after death. When I say life after death to you, almost everybody, because I asked a bunch of people this week, they say, oh, you're going to talk about heaven, life after death. And because that's what it means to us. But in a very real sense, Christianity right now, your life right now, your daily existence is about death and then life. That's what it's about. And I want to show you from the text how important it is for you and me. You and I associating with Christ's death. That's how we get out of the system that otherwise we live under. And into new life and what that means for daily existence. How you're going to live right now, today. This is from Colossians and we've been walking through Colossians. So we're going to open up our Bibles and go if you can to Colossians chapter 2. We're walking our way through Colossians. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. Of Colossians 2. I'm excited to share the word of God with you. Let's look. The first thing I want you to see. Is, is that as a Christian. We are, are to be growing. Sometimes. Especially around here. We're so much about grace and the gospel. It says well you don't care if people grow. No that's so not true. I so want you. We want you to long to grow. See what Paul says about growth. Look. It's right here. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, based on all the things we've talked about in the last few weeks in Colossians, he says, hey, coming down to how we've thought about Jesus and how amazing he is. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving just want to start us this morning and because it's so important i think as we live our lives is that christianity is not just about praying a prayer and then nothing it's not just about fire insurance As some people can well you know i prayed that prayer and therefore it's no it's about actually you continue to live you continue to have existence and for most of us who come to church we've we've most of us made a confession that we asked Jesus into our heart that we've repented of our sin and so what does paul want for you and i as christians and he says what as you received him so walk in him that's a daily living thing rooted and built up that's why i'm put plants all over the screens That's because rooted and built up is the um kind of a growing plant thing right Rooted, that means roots going down deep, so you can't be moved. Built up, that means, oh, in some sense, bigger, stronger. The question's going to be, in what sense, right? This is where we need to be careful, and, and, and we need to be careful with what Paul's actually saying. Because the issue of our life is really, in what way are we rooted? In what way are we built up? Many people think they are, they, they're they are strong and they're not. We proclaim we're weak and our strength isn't a certain thing. What is that? So what's the way? It's right here in the passage. If you really think about it and you think about what Paul's saying, look what he says, "As you receive Christ, so walk in him. What does that mean? As I received Christ is the same way I'm to live daily. As I received Christ is so the same way I walk. It's a simile kind of idea, right? That's what he's saying. So, what is this as you receive Christ? How did you receive Christ? Well, we've been through Colossians now up to this point, and it's been super clear it's as a gift. I received Christ as a gift. Nothing to God did I bring. I just have this amazing Christ and the power and the wondrous power that's been exercised on me in Christ that I put my just simple trust in Christ and I get this amazing gift. And for so many, that's sort of like, that's their conversion experience. Oh man, I realized I was a sinner and I, I bowed the knee and I, I said, oh please, Jesus, come into my life. And then everything they talk about now, the stuff they're doing. But just like you receive Jesus as a gift so walk in him. He remains this thing that you are given, that your daily life is just about as much about gift, just about as much about receiving as your your conversion was, says Paul. And this is then what it means to be rooted and built up, is that you are more and more and more trusting in this gift. And, and and as you see, I mean, boy, if you get given a gift, what does it do to your life? It makes you grateful. So excited when someone gives me something. Wow. So thus, abounding in thanksgiving, right? Because we abound in thanksgiving as every day as we live, we, lo- we realize life is a gift, Our every breath is a gift. We live in gift. So this is the picture of the Christian that Paul has. It really isn't a moral picture yet. He's going to get to some moral living coming up. Hold your breath. But, but this is a trust picture. I love this. So you say, okay, I kind of, I kind of get what you're saying, Dax, but I don't know, I don't know how what that looks like or what it is. Well, that's good because Paul keeps going. And what he does is he says, you know, this is what I want you to be. This is kind of the theme statement for what we're going to talk about. But, but there are traps. Along the way. You are hunted. There's, in this life, there's an alertness to us who trust in Jesus because we're swimming in these waters that are unlike what we normally would think about. I don't normally think of life in a gift sense or every day as receiving Christ. I, I think of it in an earning sense. I think of it in some other ways. And so Paul says, hey, you need to be alert. Alert. Keep going with me, because this is what he says in verse 8. See to it, that's an alert word. Oh, keep your eyes open. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Keep alert, says Paul, keep your eyes open. And there are those who want to take you captive like catching you in a net. The net won't hold you, though, unless you let it. And then he lists these things. And I don't know about you, I've read these a hundred times. They kind of glaze over, they kind of become throwaways. I was asking my wife last night, I said, what do you think when I say this? And she says, I don't understand it, so I just keep going. And I feel like that's for a lot of us, what we think. So what does Paul actually say? He says, hey, See to it that no one takes care of, by philosophy. What's that? That's that's reasoning, that's that's some system of thought. Empty deceit, that's just flat out lies, right? Flat out untruth, human traditions, man made rules and regulations. So, so I take that, and normally where people go, they go somewhere like this. They they go, watch out, you guys, watch out for intellectualism. Watch out for people who build good systems of, of thought and reason. In fact, in the denomination I grew up in, this sort of thought was thinking to say, really, you re- maybe shouldn't go to college. Because they'll teach you things, you know. Philosophy. Watch out. Bad. Don't get exposed to the wrong ideas. People go here, but look again, because that's not really what he's saying. He's not. Paul is not anti-intellectual. He's not wanting us not to study, not to develop, not to think. He's he's saying philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. It's according to a certain tradition that he's after, right? There's something, in fact, according to, and this is really telling, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Okay, now I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. Maybe he's talking about cults. Watch out for cults, says Paul. There's one up in North County that has impacted people I know where they started worshiping cats. Don't do it. Watch out. Don't worship cats. Worship Christ. No, duh. I actually don't think that's even what he means. I think that, that, that's true. Those are true things. But, but what does it mean? That philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. What what through the ages is human tradition? According to elemental spirits. What is this? Well, it's a good thing. This is not the only place that Paul talks about elemental spirits in this word. In the same time that he's writing Colossians, this is the prison period of when he's in in jail. He also wrote Galatians. And he said this. I want to share it with you. This is Galatians chapter 4. He says, we read it this morning. He said, in the same way we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to what? The elementary principles of the world. That's the same word. And our passage is translated elementary spirits. And this passage is translated elementary principles of the world. And keep going with me. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What's the deal? The thing I want you to see is this. According to elementary principles, is the same as these spirits of the world. You could say that they're the powers and authorities, but they're using certain principles. And these principles required our rescue. They required our rescue to those of us who are under what? The law. There's a connection Paul's making between how these traditions and how through time people have always used the law and our requirement for rescue. These are the philosophies. This is the human traditions. These are the things you've got to be really careful of. They're not wild, crazy things like cat worship. They're reasonable things. They're things that pull you even today. They're things that require Paul to write to Christians. Watch out. These sneak in, you know. They twist the law. These elementary principles do. These human traditions do. They are enslaving. They, tra- they track back to the very first twisting in our Bible. Do you remember that? In Genesis where the people came and they came, the people, Adam and Eve, right? And the devil. And he said, you know, God kind of wants to keep you down. But if you would eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, oh, you'd be like God. There's a tree of life. There's a tree the knowledge of good and evil. And this is presented, I believe, in Genesis. It's presented as this twisting, this elementary principle piece where, where you actually come in, where the, where the, where the, uh, the powers of the <laughs> Satan, and, and then he comes in and he, and he wants to pull for human beings to be their own God. If you would know, if you could define good and evil, what does the law do? It, it's a, a method for us to determine God, good and <laughs> evil. And the law is good and pure. I'm not saying any. I'm saying it gets twisted. With somebody at the center. Who? You. Look. If you would just understand more. About what's right and wrong. And then you could determine. You. How you should live. And we will judge you based on that right and wrong. Let me give you some examples. Because you think this is some highfalutin thing. It's, I believe it's it's a certain way that the. The world uses to enslave because it can be used and used, used all the time. And even the law, the beautiful law is used this way. As an evaluator, a comparer with you at the center, you judge yourself and you judge others. You think this is highfalutin philosophy? No, 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 this permeates. This permeates us and our culture. It's plausible. Think about college I was recently up at the campus and listening to the different ministers as they talked. I've shared this already with you, but 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 the the thinking, the training is is, is that you're figuring things out and what you do with that, you look back at what your mom and dad did. Do you know what you think? Man they did it wrong. You realize how much toilet paper my parents use? Do you realize what kind of carbon footprint they have? Do you realize how they raised us? That's so wrong. Man, I'm going to do it better. What are you doing? You're, you're putting yourself as the judge of right and wrong, and you're judging somebody else. And, and, and then the crazy thing is the right. Hold that thought. Natural law, elementary principles, knowledge of good and evil, we look at it and we judge. Take your spouse. Take your spouse for a minute if you're married. Take a look. I mean, really, they're not doing enough. For many of us. You can slip into this. Maybe you haven't. It's really good. But maybe maybe you're the primary earner, and you work all day, and you come home tired. They have lots of time. Why don't they take care of me better? Why are they wanting me to help? I've worked all damn tired. Maybe you're the homemaker, and the homemaker goes, Hey, you know what? I, I, I cook, and I clean, and I do the dishes, and I work, do dinner for you, and you come home, and you don't work at all. You just go down and watch TV. Slug? Or maybe what you do is you come home and you serve and you do things and then but in your heart you say, Man, I'm serving. Man, I just they need to serve more too. And I just don't know why they don't, but maybe someday. What are you doing with all of that? All of that. All of those things might be true. You are noticing something that's true, but you're using it through the human tradition and the empty philosophy of the world, according to the elemental spirits, to do what? To say, I am the decider of right and wrong, and and I am the one who needs to see how I'm doing. I need to, to check it out, and I need to apply that to other people, see how they're doing. Seen and evaluating yourself, I mean, look at your choices and look at your health. You maximize your years of life by making sure you are disciplined and make all the right choices to be as healthy as you should be. You can get mad at me because these aren't unreasonable things. There's truth in them. If you are a 50-year smoker and you get lung cancer, you guess what I say? There's a tiny bit of me that says you deserve that. Smoking for a long period of time is bad for your lungs. You may get lung cancer. If only you wouldn't have done that. I can tell right and wrong, that's wrong. Look at your own goals and dreams. Really, really, what do you want? And I'm not a student of human nature as best as I should be, but I know most of us, what we want as we get older, we'd love to have security. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about Retirement. I'm talking about as you look and you see that things are going down, you go, man, I, I want to have enough to where I can make it all the way till the end. And, and I want to have my egg here and I want to do some things too. I want to have some freedom to travel. Dude, you start having desires that, that are good desires, but 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 they reveal that you have a heart, that there's something going on in you that's different than just God. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm saying we do, and it's not Christ. It's living life by the elementary principles of the world, by human traditions, is to put yourself at the center and put this world system of evaluation squarely on yourself and on other people, and we clearly do it. And Paul says there's there's a contrast that he's making. Right? Because what he said was, see to it, no one takes you captive by this, and according to the elementary principles, elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. These are this is the break. What is it about Christ that is so different that we live according to? And that's what he goes into that. He says, in this same uh no, it's this right here, it's verse nine. For in him listen to this, this is what he's getting at. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all. Rule and authority. See, we live in this truth. Jesus is the fullness of everything. And yeah, in the day, they were thinking, oh, is Jesus not fully God? And therefore, we there's things we've got to do. And Paul says, no, no, no. Jesus is everything. Everything. He's the head of everything. He's the rule. He's the authority. Not these spirits. Not these principles. Not even yourself. It's deep stuff. But, but, But it means that these other things aren't my hope. Jesus is my hope. Jesus alone. And and if I think that, what what does that mean? We'll, Well, look what he says. In him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Who raised him from the dead. Don't skip over this. This is the heart of the whole thing. What is this in Christness? We, we skip, you know, we think, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to watch out for cults and all those you? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, watch out. This slips in, and, and what you need is Christ alone. What is this? This is this circumcision that you get, this, this mark of the family that you get. You don't even do yourself. That's what he says, right? Made without hands. That would be your hands or man's hands. The Spirit circumcises you. You are put into the family by trusting Jesus that he even will put you in his family. You're part of the covenant by faith alone. And then most interesting, by putting off this body of flesh, and you think, well, that's putting off my evil. No, it's not. It's putting off your walking in self-orientation. And totally putting your trust in Jesus. Because he goes not to life. He goes to death. It's important. This is Christianity. That we were, he says, having been, this is what happened, buried with him in baptism. That's the first part of the Christian life. This is what it is. It's that I was in this system. I was living according to it. I was marking my time according to this way. And now I've died. I'm associated with not just the life of Jesus, but first and foremost, the death of Jesus. I, me, buried in baptism. Baptism. And and then my hope there is I am also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Not through powerful faith in the working of God, through the faith in the powerful working of God, right? My whole life is about, is God strong enough to resurrect me? Is God strong enough to resurrect you? Well, if I'm good enough. No, 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 you're losing the, the point. If you trust Jesus... My trust is that I'm going to give up on my self-salvation, not just at conversion in some moment of emotional outburst, but in life, as I live this life, Say my hope is Christ alone, and therefore I die, and I trust in the power of God that he will resurrect me. There's not a single mention of, oh boy, but as long as you didn't smoke 50 packs of cigarettes every week. It just is trusting in the power of God. This is a big deal. It's the trap you see that we are to avoid. is the trap of self-improvement instead of Jesus' trust. Were you circumcised? Yes, says Paul. Whether man or woman, you were given the sign, you were brought into the family by Christ. You didn't do it yourself. You didn't somehow get rid of yourself. You can't do that. It happened by faith in Christ. And by trusting Jesus, you go with him. Not first to heaven. First to death. This is a necessary thing because it removes you from the system, Romans 7 says. The law condemns you, it calls foul, and so this penalty is death, and in Christ you go down into death, and then by God's power alone you're raised, and you have new papers, you have a new identity, it's, a, it's in Christ alone. We, we cannot overemphasize this, because this death to life is what Christianity is, and too often we think, oh, we were dead and now we're alive, it's true, but we actually enter into that death by true trusting God. And we still see echoes of it all over our lives because we're still in this world. We're not of it any longer, but we're in it still. And our flesh wants to go. We agree with God to the condemnation of Christ for us. We trust in his death being our death, and we trust in his life being our life. Without this, we're not Christianity. We could be many other religions. We could be Judaism. We could bring in Hinduism or Buddhism. Work on yourself to get to nirvana. Work on your living. Work on your circle so you don't come back as a, as a mouse. Do good things so karma is kind to you. Baloney. You're terrible. I only trust in Jesus that by his death for me and with me, I know that I will be resurrected by God himself. This is the path of life. Look what God did to make us alive then. Verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Okay, stop there for a minute. This is the gospel, right? I mean, in your, in your margins, if you haven't written already, write gospel. This is what it is. This is the good news. This is the good news. Look, look, look. You were dead. You had nothing. You're absolutely in your trespasses. That's sins. That's wrongnesses. The things you don't do right. And the uncircumcision of your flesh. And we, we forget that part. I'm oriented on me. I want me to live. I want me to build up and be good. I want to be the decider of right and wrong. I want to keep drinking and eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This this is against me. And so then God acted. Made alive together with him. And that's, I think, part of the, the, the sweetest phrase in the Bible. It's not just God made you alive. God made you alive together with him. I think he's thinking of Christ. Together with Christ as Christ is raised. As, as God raises Christ from the dead. is this amazing first of, of many that, that we were with him. To be together with him. This is amazing. Absolutely fantastic. How did he do it? Says it right there, doesn't it? He did it by forgiving all of our trespasses. And so there he did it. And he brought us into his realm where there's no trespasses, where he's holy. Not because of something we did. Not because of behavior on our part. Not because of our excellence. By how? By forgiving us. Forgiving our badness. And and not just that, right? Also, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is the law, but what the law produces, which is this list of your badness for everybody. This he set aside, so sweet, nailing it to the cross. That means he paid it. He paid. He gave his life. And he goes on to say that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And you say, well, how does that link to this record of debts? It's like, yeah, they use the law. They use the principles. They use the things to say you're guilty. And what do they want you to do? Work harder to get out. The world is a penal colony. It is. And, and and it's used by the accuser and the deceiver to say, you know what, there's hope for you if you would just work a little harder at this. If you would overcome this bad habit, if you would get it all together and, and, and just work on it. And so, so many people in so many lives, in so many religions, even Christianity, we go here. The power of good habit will lead you good places. That is an elementary principle of the world. Do good and good will follow. That is not Christianity, which is he forgave your sin. You see the difference? And yet so many of us live over in this area. What are we doing? We're working on our flesh. I want you need to be good. You're not good. That's the message. The, the, the realm of sin is Satan's realm. He uses real things, and they're right about your flesh. And if you trust in your flesh, which is you, which is you getting better, if you trust in your reality of, man, what I'm after is just molding and shaping. We see it a lot in parenting. I see it because I want my kids to be good. I want them. So what do I do? I work on them. What does that mean? I use guilt. I use shame. I use anger. I use all these things to try and make them into what they need to be. What's that called? Working on their flesh. Why do I say that? Because they've got one hope. What's the hope? Not anything that they become or don't become. Not anything that they do well or don't do well. None of that. It's only trusting that they're going to die in Christ, that they have no hope in themselves, and they're going to be resurrected by God. This is the contrast. The only way out for you and me is death, you know. The death of us, our personal attainment and ego, our self-orientation. And that's what Paul's after for you and me. To see that the law is a measuring stick, that this is where it goes and we all agree. I want to share one one more passage, it's in Romans. Actually, let's do two. This is, I mean, we'll be quick. It says, okay, look what Paul says. He said he's, in, in, he's afflicted. He is sharing with the Corinthians, and he says this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is God talking to Paul about these thorns he has in his flesh. And I don't think it's physical, but it's fine if you do. It doesn't really matter because he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfect in weakness. How many of us say, my, God's power is perfected as I get stronger? Paul says, no, that's not true. He says, I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest in me. This is not, oh, let's boast that we're so terrible. This is realizing that in our flesh we have no hope and we stay there our whole life. Paul's, Paul's an apostle. He's not saying that as an unbeliever. And then in Romans, he writes, Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions roused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Do You see what Paul's saying? Don't miss what he's actually pushing you towards, which is, which is you have to die to the law. Not because the law is bad, but because it's the only way to separate you, and so to separate you to get you over to in Christ, you've got to die. Your flesh has got to die. Again, and again, I don't. I'm so poor at explaining. Paul's not saying. You've got to die, I.e., you've got to stop sinning, you've got to stop doing bad things, you've got to stop being immoral, you've got to stop um, being um, uh, coveting and adultery and those things. That's not what he's saying. You, you, those things are all true. You should not do any of those things. But what he's saying is your evaluation of how you're doing in those things based on yourself, your self needs to stop because the only thing that's going to happen in heaven is that it will have a condemnation of you and and the only life we have either before or after our conversion is that we trust in jesus christ and that faith we have in christ and what he did and what he did on the cross and in him means that we do die and we trust that we will be raised again Christian growth, then, is, is this amazing thing. And it may be different than you normally think of it. Like the gal using cornstarch for armor. It's the new way of the spirit, which is faith. It's anti-world, not in a moral, immoral line, but in a death-life line. We come to worship, but we come as dead people. No beautiful offering to bring. Just life found in the forgiveness of Christ. Because by God's d- judgment we are dead. That's the law. But we arise on account of Christ's forgiveness. That's the gospel. So I, I put again, this is growth and this is our heart. That therefore, as you and I have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Oh, look what he's done. We've, we've, we've humbled ourselves. We've been broken. We put our trust in him. So walk in him. In the same way, putting your trust in him. That's rooted and built up where? In him. That's established where? In trust. Just as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. May your life be here. May you see the wonder of Jesus. Let's pray.